Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Michelle, hello and welcome back. Thank you for having me. Every month, it's just so exciting to see you on my calendar. I get to talk to you. Yay. Yay us and yay Yay the listeners. So today we're going to talk about now what... And now what, like when you finally achieve whatever you've been striving for, working towards, and then now what, what do you see happens with people when they get to the success that they dreamt of? Well, first of all, a lot of times people don't even acknowledge that they've had the success. You know, they don't stop and think, wow, I set out to do this and now I've done it and yay me. Uh, You know, that phrase, yay me is not something that people really give themselves the, the grace of, of thinking about. And yet it's the most important thing to acknowledge, hmm, I sat out here and now I'm here and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And then you can ask the question, now what? But a lot of people feel so like a deep sense of loss um, because that thing that they've been striving towards has now it's it's been reached and they don't know what to mot- how to motivate themselves. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a fear that happens. You know, they don't want to recognize it because they're so used to like, okay, I've got to achieve, I've got to achieve, I've got to achieve. And when they finally all of a sudden look at everything that they have or what they've accomplished, I think the fear or there's a foreboding joy, right? Like, oh, if I really rest in this, there's your dog. If I really rest in this and, and go, wow, I'm either going to become lazy. Um, I'm going to lose it. So when's the other shoe going to drop? So all those fears happen. And I think that's part of the hardness of, you know, saying the yay me, or maybe it's also arrogance. What do you think? Yes. And sometimes people identify so much with the struggle mm-hmm. um, that that it's really hard for them to create a new identity without the struggle. I got an email this week from somebody and I'll protect their privacy, but the person has been dealing with a degenerative chronic um, disease. And recently there's a new treatment which can put a hundred percent remission, hundred percent remission cure. And this person emailed me and said, I don't know what to do with myself. You know, I'm involved in support groups and, I'm, you know, I write on the subject and I'm standing on the precipice of being cured. And who am I if I'm not an advocate for this? Mm -hmm. I thought it was actually deep awareness on this person's part. And also, I, I wanted to be able to create this space to say, okay, so you've done this. Let's honor that. Let's accept this. Let's find the way towards acceptance. And then you can focus on what next? And I think that thing that you're talking about with the identity, right? That becomes the hard thing because you just get so, one of the beautiful things and maybe the type of people we're talking about are people that are really good with perseverance and grit. 
and they're good at just putting their head down and grinding away. But at times we need to just stop and take a look up and say, okay, maybe my identity is, you know, going to shift, but what can I now do? And don't you think, I I think that the most um, vexing and difficult times in our lives are the moments when our identity shifts. So when you shift for some people from being a high schooler to being a college student, and when you shift from being a college student to a working person, when you skip, you know, switch from being a single person to being a married person, to being a parent, to being an empty nester, to being, you know, somebody's grandparent, whatever the stages of life, these can be, these moments of redefinition can be so hard for people. And you know, as well as I know, you know, people who are in advanced middle age and still try to dress the way they dressed when they were in their 20s or 30s. <laughs> I'm just saying of my own family members is who I'm thinking of there. No, just slightly kidding. But, you know, so <laughs> it's these moments of redefinition that we walk into that is is the perfect moment for a little uh, generousness towards ourself, a little grace, and a little, you know, acknowledgement that this phase is behind us and now we're going to embrace the next thing with open arms. When you say that, that makes me think about like, I remember transitioning from junior high to high school and just so excited, so ready to be that big kid at high school and transitioning to college and just so excited once again, like here I am, I've arrived and I wasn't afraid of the now what? I was like, yes, look at me. I'm doing what I wanted to do. When it started to change for me was after college because it was, oh, I mean, there were so many choices. And, you know, as you talk about that, I'm thinking about transitions are hard, but are they harder for us as adults, you know, in middle age, or as you said, advanced middle age, is that harder for us than when we were younger? You know, I think it depends on whether you initiate the transition or the transition is initiated for you. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes as an adult, we lose our job, not because we're not good performers, but because some bean counter decided that four people needed to be let go or we lose our job because um, a new, a new leader comes in and they have a right to have their own people. Um, You know, there's been a lot of that going on for our, in our country the last 10 years or more in the United States and so, and around the world. And so when you create a transition for yourself, you know, when, when, if I were to decide to go get a job, that's a transition that I'm creating for myself, and I think I would be excited about it. But when a transition is created for you, like your partner decides they don't want to be in relationship with you anymore, or you know you lose your job through no fault of your own, or um, you know some other thing happens and you have to make a change that you haven't thought through, I think those are the moments that's really, really hard for people. I think that's a really good distinction because you're right. As when I was going through those transitions, I was excited for that next thing. And in, you know, college was a bit after college was a bit different because there were so many unknowns. And that was the first time it was like I didn't have it all planned out type of thing. But I, I love that that idea. And transitions are hard. And I know as a parent, you know, I look at that there's that du- double edged sword for parents, right? You want your kid to be able to graduate from high school and go off to their next thing. And there's that part of, yay me as a parent. And then there's that part of, oh no, our family dynamics changed. 
Right. right? And so that can be hard. There's this kind of dichotomy that goes on. And in a way, even though as a parent, I mean, and we've talked about the emptiness thing before, but as a parent, you know, when your children are doing what you prepared them to do, my dog Bootsy has probably just seen a squirrel outside and he needs to chase it. So he is down in the basement. This is how sound carries in my house. And I apologize. (laughs) And the doors are closed between him and me. So you know how loud that dog barks. Um, real life, was, baby. It's real life. Real life. How does she really do it with a barking dog? It's actually <laughs> how she really does it. Um, so what I was saying is that, you know, even though this, my children are doing what I prepared them to do, what I, what I gave them experiences in their earlier lives to be able to live on their own, to make decisions on their own. You know, the other day, my daughter shared with me that she had looked at her schedule and because she'll be studying abroad in the fall, She's only going to have two weeks at any stretch at home for the next 18 months. And both of us kind of sat back on our heels when she, t- when she said that because the idea that she is actually, this may not be her home anymore mm-hmm. because she'll only be here like three times for two weeks mm-hmm. just kills me to even say that. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it's going to be, which means that I have to create a framework for myself where I actually go to see her, mm-hmm. you know, where I make point of saying, hey, I'd like to come for a weekend in the month of March. What, what's a good weekend? Mm-hmm. Right. And that that's a redefinition for me. Instead of my children coming to me, I may be in that phase where I need to go to my children. And again, it's all how you take the change. You know, you could mourn that. Any of us could mourn that. And The other thing is to get really still and say, how does this feel? What is this like for me? And then what do I want? And you know, because we've talked about it a zillion times, my goal was to be a good enough parent. Well, I have to be a good enough parent now in a different context. And I could do it before, so I bet I can do it now. It's those sort of reminders that I think are really important for people as they navigate these kind of transitions. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because your younger self, I mean, this, you would want, you wanted this kind of vision, for, you had this kind of vision for your child where she can be self-sufficient and she can go off and pursue things that are of her interest. And that she has good judgment. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think is really important to have consistent from transition to transition to transition is what I call that moment of stillness. You know, I wrote a blog post about this um, recently and it is that this moment of stillness where you, you stop, whether you've achieved something or, and you've met, met, met the success that you set out to meet, or some transition's been forced on you, or you're initiating some sort of transition, that moment of stillness to really evaluate, where am I? You know, in this big, fast-paced world that we have, really, where am I? And really, truly, where do I want to go? And then from that moment of stillness, you know, allowing your curiosity to drive you. Because let's say you did make a big success. Let's say, let's say you wanted to get a PhD and you finally get awarded your PhD. What I'm suggesting is that moment after the PhD is awarded, that, that you stop in stillness and get curious 
what is what am I really curious about next? What is it that really kind of calls to me that's tweaking that, you know, learner's mindset that Carol Dweck talks about all the time? But if you get still and you get curious, it's my belief that that you're going to have greater success in whatever comes next. Well, and I that cuz you're right, it's that whole that mindset that um Carol talks about because I really believe that a fixed mindset is rooted in shame and a, a growth mindset is rooted or a learner's mindset is rooted in curiosity or compassion um, or confidence. And that's where you can, and she says, you know, you can get the 64% on the exam and go, hey, what can I learn from this? What these other questions that I didn't get right, let me go learn, right? It's that being a learner like you and I've talked about. And that becomes so important. But what happens so often is people go into that fear place, into that lizard brain. Right. And the fear of, oh, my gosh, what will I do next? Oh, my gosh, you know, how am I going to measure myself? This will um, define me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. But I, I love those questions that you have, and I did write them down. So the moment of stillness and asking ourselves, where am I? Where do I truly want to go? And, you know, when you said those questions, the thing that came to me was we get to choose. Now there are limitations and there there are boundaries, right? But we get to choose. And when we choose that are aligned with our values, like you and I've talked about on our show, that is way more empowering than when we think that life happens to us. What do you think? Yes. I mean, when you feel that sense of agency, you know, that life is not just happening to me. I'm, I'm actually creating my life. It feels very powerful, and it's it's very hard, I think, to be in a shame storm when you're when you have that feeling of personal agency. Um, you know, I recently uh, had a quote, and now it's on the top of my Facebook page. But you know, fear is the anticipation of future failure, and confidence is the anticipation of future success. So, you know, you can orient your life to, I'm sure there are going to be moments of, of failure or where I let myself down, but generally, I anticipate success for myself in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty empowering and liberating thing. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, I, I love that. And so here's something that I've realized, because I do so much of the shame and vulnerability work with my clients is that, you know, vulnerability is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk, right? It doesn't feel very good for most people. Those aren't, a lot of times people are like, I want to be in control, right? I want to control this. I want to control my children. I want to control my boss. I want to control the bully in the workplace, right? And we can't control any of those things. Oftentimes, we mistake, or at least I see this with my clients, they mistake vulnerability for fear because it's not something that we're used to, right? We want to be left brain, logical, know the answer, have certainty. And to distinguish what is really something to be afraid of and what is something that is making you vulnerable and understanding the difference so that when you go in to, you know, ask these questions, right? To say, okay, how does this make me feel? You know, where am I? where do I want to go? There's going to be some vulnerability because there's uncertainty. There's not this, oh, it's definitely going to happen because what if it doesn't, right? And that's sometimes what gets in the way of people taking that path. It's the, well, what if it doesn't? So I might as well stay here. This is as good as it gets. 
And instead of when you can believe and you can go from a place of curiosity and be willing. And again, the people that we're talking about are people that are willing to be pers- persevere and have grit. And so just keep taking step forward, step forward. I always say small hinges can move big doors, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same thing of let's, okay, here's where I want to go. It's not like this relationship with your kids happened overnight. There was a lot of unknowns. You just kept holding on to that vision of, you know, what's the relationship I want to have with my kids? You know, how do I want my kids to be when they're older? How can I influence that versus control? You know, I did a presentation on um, Tuesday uh, to a corporate group. And one of the things that we were talking about is how do you build trust, you know, within a within an organization in your workplace. But I also extrapolated it out to really any relationship and using the work of Patrick Lencioni who wrote the great book, um, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, you know, one of the things that builds trust is this ability to be vulnerable with people you trust, Um, to be able to say, I'm not sure I have the answer. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And that's so hard for people, but vulnerability is that pathway. That's right. And you have to make a safe place for people to be able to say, you know, whether it's, I'm not sure I know the answer to this, or, um, hey, I really am feel great about this. You know, even sometimes saying, I feel great about this, requires some vulnerability in certain situations among certain people. So I think it's not only, you, know, you mentioned, you know, vulnerability and, and shame, is that sometimes we can be ashamed of being successful. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because then other people can, oh, you know, they're struggling and here I am doing so well. And, and feel ashamed of that, right? Right. Too much. Right. And especially if you're in an environment where everybody, you know, is like whining Debbie Downer types, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, everybody's like, oh, life is so hard and I'm so busy and things are so stinky and blah, 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 blah. And you're the person saying, you know, actually I'm having a great day. Mm -hmm. Actually, things are going pretty well. Actually, I'm pretty optimistic. Mm-hmm. That if you're in an environment where that's not possible, whether it's a family, a marriage, a workplace, a volunteer organization, it, it can be very vulnerable to be the one person who's saying, you know what, I'm actually having a spectacular day. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're different and that can be such a trigger for other people, mm-hmm. right? And so then they'll want to come down and I call it inner gladiator. When you feel shame, there's the, it's moving against and I call it the inner gladiator. Let me come at you. That happened to me when I was in college. My junior year, we had these practices and there was 15 more minutes and our coach would always, we would end at four o'clock, but we still had the pool for another 15 minutes. So I would stay in because that was the year I was trying to become a national champion and I was very private. I wouldn't, there's no way, there, there wasn't, I wasn't willing to share that. That was too vulnerable to say, this is what I want to do because what if it didn't happen? So it was a very private goal that I had, but some of the women on the team would, would get very snarky with me, right? Oh, there's Corinne trying to get extra credit from Barb. You know, not that my coach, there was no such thing as extra credit. But instead of rising up and saying, hey, I want to do more because then I'll make me faster and I'm going to join Corinne. It was like, oh, let's just talk down about her so that she won't do it, right? The kind of the mean girl stuff. I call that whack-a-mole. 
You know, the, the arcade game where, you know, the little moles stick their head up and you whack them down with a mallet. Mm-hmm. You know, when I worked in government, uh, federal government, this was a huge uh, factor. The reason why I wanted to leave the federal government was because in the offices that I worked in, and certainly this is not the entire government, but in bureaucracies, this often happens, is there's sort of a go-along, get-along pace. Mm-hmm. And if you're just a little bit more leaning in, if you're just a little more um, uh, producing, uh, the powers that be sometimes form against you and whack you right on the head. And and so there is sometimes in your environment, you need to understand what are the factors that are there. And again, ask yourself the question, is this an environment in which I can really be my best? Mm-hmm. You know, even if you are having success and even if you have met your goals, if it really is any way holding you back or hemming you in, you owe it to yourself again to get still, get quiet, and really and truly evaluate what's going on. So you have to be pretty good about having white space and asking yourself these questions, don't you? Well, you know, there are a lot of people who keep busy just mm-hmm. so that they don't have any space to think. Because I, uh, some folks, if they aren't experienced in kind of reviewing, they, they, they know that there are so many things that they're tolerating in their life, they're just putting up with. That if they open the door to one thing, it's going to change everything. And I think folks generally have trouble with change. Uh, it's the rare individual who, who hel- is healthy about embracing change. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I always have to remind myself is that just because I'm going to go do something, it doesn't mean that that's for the rest of my life, right? It can be something I can go and experiment with or uh, maybe change direction with. And I have to remind myself because sometimes I get into this total and it's a fixed mindset. If I make this decision, this is the path forever. And I'm constantly reminding myself or reminding my clients is that it's an experiment or go test something out because for me, I don't know until I actually do it. For some reason, the phrase life is a poo-poo platter just came into my, (laughs) but it's like the idea is, you know, you can sample a lot of different things and that's just a sampling. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to, you know, be stuck with eating fried wonton the rest of your life. You know, Mm -hmm. you can just have the poo-poo platter approach and, you know, sample it, try it and, and see what it is. I think the most amazing thing I've ever noticed about myself, other than, you know, my great hair is um is there'll be a day when i realize that i've handled something differently that i'm really conscious wow i just had that difficult conversation and i handled it completely differently than i would have handled it 6 months ago or a year ago or whatever and i think that's such a beautiful moment in any one of our lives that you know the consciousness the focus the willingness to maybe do things differently, we've actually taken it on board and we're really doing it. And so that's also, you have to have the space in your life to even have that awareness. It's like, wow, I did that differently and I did it well. Good for me. That feels good. And that doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to sit and journal about it for three hours, right? (laughs) But it's just that consciousness, that awareness that, wow, I have changed and it's been a slow and purposeful change and it feels really good. 
How do you create white space in your life? Well, I'm really good about boundaries, I have to say. Um, you know, th- so I don't schedule myself 24-7. You know, I, I have time for reflection in my life. And, um, and I'm also, you know, mindful. Uh, and so I, I'm, I try to be awake and present in my life all the time. In fact, about 10 years ago, one of my goals was to be present, which I know sounds weird probably, but, um, but I really thought I was aware that I was in conversations with people and instead of actually being in the conversation, I was in the car on the way out thinking about what errands I had to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't physically in the car, but my mind was in the car thinking, okay, this is going to wrap up in 20 minutes. I'll be in the car and I have time to run by Target before I go back to the office. Mm-hmm. And I realized I wasn't, I wasn't, it's not very generous to not be present. And it's also not very kind to not be present. And those are two things that I want to be. So I really focused on catching myself when I wasn't present, when my mind began to wander to the thing next and, um, and stop myself, just really stop, say, stop, you know, be right here right now. That's what I used to say to myself in my head, be right here right now. And I broke the habit, which means that I am present, which means there's white space. Because when I'm present with myself, there are just moments where I can be conscious of what's going on in my life. And it's, it's not easy, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's great evidence for the listeners because they can realize that we can change habits when we make it a deliberate practice. When we decide, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And we're going to fall down a whole bunch. We're going to make the mistakes. We're going to not be present. But then we can catch that and go, wait, be here, be right now. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is that I love how you said it's not about journaling for three hours, right? Because sometimes I think we make it so much harder than it, what it needs to be. What is that space? And a lot of times I check in. It's like, does do I need to be with my brain right now? And sometimes that can be 30 seconds. It can be five minutes. It can be 20 minutes. It all depends on what I need right in that moment. So I ask myself that a lot. That's great. I mean, that, and it's so critical. And I think that the more that anybody can bring that on board in their life, um, the more successful they're going to be and the more meaningful their life is going to be. And something else that when earlier that we were talking about that I want to readdress is that, you know, when you're asking these questions, you know, where am I and where do I truly want to go? You have to be okay with asking, asking yourself what you want and believing that you can ask for what you want. Because sometimes people are, at least the clients that I work with, it's like, oh, I take care of all these other people. I can't put myself out there and take, you know, ask for what I want because what about these other people? And it's these shoulds, really, you know, it comes down to, you know, well, I should make my breakfast for my five children and I should pack their lunch. A good, a good mother packs lunch for her kids every day, you know, and there's no wiggle room. That's what, that's what a good mother should do or a good spouse or a good neighbor or a good daughter or a good sibling or whatever it is. So we get wrapped up in these shoulds and it's very important. It's very hard at that time when you're in the throes of shoulds to, to be able to assert your own needs 
you know, like um, if you're in a, a good mother should make, uh, you know, a healthy, nutritious lunch for her children every day. It's very hard for you to say to your kids, it's time for you to start packing your own lunch. Mm-hmm. Because I need this time in the morning to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very hard, don't you think? Oh, I think it's very hard. And so I think part of it is is getting rid of those shoulds. <laughs> Throwing them out. And, and you know, the easy way, there's an easy way. I can, I can hip you to the easy way. And the easy way is anytime you hear yourself say the word should, you stop yourself and you replace it with choose. So I choose to make a healthy, nutritious lunch for my five children every day. Mm-hmm. It's going back to that previous concept of agency, of power. I'm choosing to do this. I could equally choose not to do it. And if I had the flu or, you know, I was traveling or something, I, I would choose not to do it. But today I'm choosing to do this. This is my choice. And so if you get a should that when you replace with choose and it doesn't work, the sentence doesn't work, like, oh, for instance, I choose to be a doormat for other people, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't feel good. Then you know the should is equally wrong. The whole, the whole concept is actually limiting you. Mm-hmm. So I think that simple thing of listening to yourself talk and every time you say should, you stop and replace, replace that should with choose and see where it takes you. And, and it's that one simple thing, but I know by when I started doing that, that was huge. Huge. It was huge. I remember when you did that, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. It was huge. And it was one of my first practices of working, staying out of judgment. You know, it was a small, again, small hinges can move big doors. So for me, judgment is armor. It's a self-protection thing, which is kind of ironic. And, but taking that word should out, you know, it, it, just it was so changing and then i was able to eventually to go into a practice of let's stay out of judgment mm-hmm. right and it doesn't mean that i'm perfect and i never go into judgment but you know the cost to me to be in judgment of myself or others is quite high i don't do well in that in that arena and but that first step was that should and that's such an easy tangible thing because you even now sometimes i'll be coaching swimming and i'll say something and that will want to roll off my tongue but because that word i'm so hyper aware of it I just catch it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to think about how am I going to replace that? Can we talk for a minute about the difference between judging and discerning? Because I think, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, don't judge. I'm not going to judge, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you do need to discern. Like, I, I think when I think of judgment, I think of like making blanket damning statements, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like all blank are blank, whatever that is. But discernment, sometimes you need to be able to discern, this does not feel good. Mm-hmm. This, when I'm in conversation with this person, I do not feel seen. Therefore, I'm not going to judge that person's a jerk. I'm going to discern that this may be a relationship I need to minimize. Mm-hmm. And if that's not, deciding that you need to minimize a relationship is not being judgy. Mm-hmm. It's being discerning. And I do think there's a difference. I would love to know what your perspective is on that. So I, I totally agree. I think judgment is rooted in shame, right? And so, and it's the, it's that comparison. It's that I'm not good enough or, but there, I think it's important to have, I, so you use the word discerning. I would use, um, 
Well, you've you've come up with inner gladiator mm-hmm. and hinges and doors, so I'm sure you're going to come up with something great. That's, that's oh, no. now there's pressure. <laughs> now there's pressure. But, a ton of pressure. So, but I think if you're rooted, you know, in confidence or in compassion, and you're looking at something, right? It's it's what well, you use the word discerning. I'm going to have to think about this for a while, but to look at something and to examine it and go, does this fit me? Is this the right fit? That's not judging, right? That's from that place. I guess being rooted in curiosity and really trying to look at Yeah. You're getting clarity from asking these questions. It's very much that, you know, learner mindset that we've been talking about where judgment is really in shame. And it is one of the armors we use to protect ourselves. Let me judge you. I mean, that was my first go-to. Let me judge you so you can't judge me first. Let me judge myself. So when you come to judge me, I'm already going to know, right? I'm not foolish thinking I'm all that. So in judgment's armor versus like, okay, you know, what's the truth about this situation? Here is where I am. And, and this is how, uh, I, this is where I want to be. What can I do? Or, hey, I just had this conversation with somebody. And after I th- reflect about it, because I, I guess I like to use the word reflection. After I reflect about it, I realize, ooh, maybe I said something that wasn't in line with my values or wasn't in line with the message I was trying to convey. How can I circle back? And, you know, I'm going to draw a little thread here is that sometimes we get into judgment when we get into the place where we think another person should be doing something different than they're doing. Mm-hmm. To me, that is when we're getting into judgment because how do we know? Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're the closest person to us, they're a person and mm-hmm. they get to decide. And equally, I get to decide what I do after that. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's so important is that like I, cause I used to think, you know, I can, I mean, with a show where a lot of times is about pulling behind the green, uh, the green curtain, right? I use the wizard of, wizard of Oz analogy and the, the, the wizard who's behind the green curtain, he's this little man where Dorothy's trying to go to him because he's also powerful and then to realize he's little this little man. So Or he's Queen Latifah if you watch the recent NBC <laughs> broadcast and she was fabulous as the wizard. So I haven't seen that one. But exactly. And so there's this there's this idea of, hey, let's look behind there. But it's not armor. It's like, let's have some understanding. Will this really work for me? Will this not? Am I giving my power away to Queen Latifah or the Oz that's behind the green curtain? Right? Am I trying to give my responsibility away? And I think, you know, so skepticism in some ways, because I can say I'm a skeptic, is not bad. It's like, you know, when my clients come to me and they have fear or anger, I'm like, that's not bad. Let's look at what is that mess? What is that emotion trying to teach you? What is the message in it? And so I think, you know, if judgment comes up, that may be an armor, that may be a knee jerk. But then if we can look at, okay, why am I judging? What's going on beneath that? Instead of just reacting and being that inner gladiator, let me judge you. And that comes back to what now, you know, uh, uh, how do we manage a transition? Because if you're holding on to an identity and a whole fistful of shoulds, it's really important. It's really hard to get to that place of clarity about what is the positive direction to move towards for the future. Um, And it is easy to wallow in judgment. Mm -hmm. So you have to be conscious, take that stillness, and let go of all the shoulds, drive towards clarity based in curiosity, and see where you go. I think that curiosity mindset, curious mindset, is so important because it allows us, and it's not about being duped. 
in believing stuff because it's about being curious and really checking in. How do I feel around this? You know, and is it just the internal excitement because I'm telling myself these stories about how amazing it's going to be? But really paying attention to that, I think, becomes so critical. Um, and and then noticing also that if you're feeling vulnerable while Michelle's having her coughing attack over there, Sorry. I will just that's all right. I will just keep going on. I'm trying to be quietly coughing, and that that is an impossible thing to do is quietly coughing. But I apologize profusely. So, but again, with vulnerability, remember it's going to feel uncomfortable. Because we're not used to it. We're not, we, you know, so we can set up our lives so that we don't have to be that vulnerable. And, um, but. And we're also trained, I must say. I mean, depending on what generation you're in, but a lot of us were trained to, you know, to be seen and not heard, mm -hmm. to not rock the boat, mm -hmm. uh, to not be too big for our britches. Mm -hmm. And so I do believe there are a lot of people who've never really been trained or taught or accepted for being vulnerable mm -hmm. and for saying, this feels really horrible right now and have somebody love you through it. Mm -hmm. And that's what it, I mean, that's what vulnerability, that's the tonic for, for vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's being, you know, someone meeting you with just with love. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things I want to say is that, and this is a really important boundary that I learned from Brene years ago, is that you, you are vulnerable with the person who's earned the right to hear your story. Right. And that's a very important distinction, right? You have to really measure, you know, who, who has earned the right to hear my story and who is not, who is going to be a safe place and who is going to use this as a weapon against me. And, and, and you're going to, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to think, okay, this is a person. And sometimes they are until they hit there until their back is against the wall. And then they may come at you. So just understand that, you know, or um, so just because we're vulnerable doesn't mean it's the Cinderella happily ever after story. There's going to be falling down moments. And um, in knowing who are the people, like I do have my list, you know, of safe people. I mean, Michelle, she, when I was on the floor curled up many years ago, right, you were one of those people that you could hold that safe space for me so that I can unpack or verbally vomit a lot of my own fears and my own concerns, right? And yeah. work, and so I can move through them and get them out of my head. So knowing who the people are who are going to be safe, not who are going to judge you. Because holding in that stuff, that makes them secrets, right? And then mm -hmm. secrets can sometimes be a heavy burden. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean everybody needs to know your secret. It doesn't mean you need to tell your secrets in the checkout line at the grocery store, mm -hmm. which some people do. Because they've done it to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the right people knowing your secrets relieves, relieves you of a burden. And sometimes you've made it a hundred times worse in your head than it actually is in real life. And so I think sometimes just expressing those things that could be secrets um, can be really healthy. Mm -hmm. Well, because shame loves secrecy. So if it's just sitting in your head and sitting in your head and spinning around and around, then I'm a really good spinner then and the shame just grows and festers, right? Mm -hmm. Versus when you can get it out and you can really unpack it. And and for me, it is verbal vomit. Like I just have to, I'm a verbal processor. I just have to get it all out. And I need somebody to hold that container, right, for me so that I can just get it out. I don't need somebody to fix it. Because a lot of times as I'm saying, I start to realize, oh my gosh, listen to what I'm saying. I know. 
That's the beautiful thing about coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's it's just me being there on the other end of the phone or across the table. And somebody says, wow, I actually had a coaching session this morning. And my client, who's been my client for five years, looked at me and said, you know, I haven't really talked about this ever. And I'm so glad I'm doing it because after a big due date next week, this client has five days before vacation. And this person's like, I've been focusing so much on this due date that I haven't even thought about how to use the five days that I have after it. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I would never have stopped to think about this. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was all inside his process, but having a witness who asked the question, so what happens after this thing is delivered, became, became this big opening. And that's to me, is, is one of the really beautiful things about what we do as coaches. Well, and you know, this is so important because there's this, you know, there's this whole self-help, do-it-yourself you should be able to be strong enough. And I used to beat myself up with this, another one of the shoulds, right? Like I should just be able to do this. Why do I need anybody? I should be self-sufficient. And what I've realized is that there are things I like to do with people, not everything, but there are some things. And so like sometimes I look at people who want to work with you or I is they want somebody to do it with them right? Maybe it's, okay, I'm not so good at creating space, but when I work with Corinne or I work with um, Michelle, they're going to hold that space for me. They're going to ask me the questions that I may not give myself permission to have at that time, but they're going to protect that boundary when they're working with us in that session so that they can unpack stuff. Or they may, you know, we all have blind spots and they may not see, oh, here I am so hyper-focused on this goal here that I'm not seeing what comes after that. What's next? And thank goodness I have somebody on my team that is going to have that visual, that perception that they can help me so that I don't end here and then go, oh my gosh, now what's going on? Right? And, that's and, what we're, does. and we're worthy of hearing the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the phrase that you said before. And I think that, that not everybody has that in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm aware that with some of my clients, they have nobody in their life to confide to. Mm-hmm. Nobody. And that to me is sad. But also, I'm really glad that I can be that person Mm -hmm. for however long I work with them. Not everybody is five years, obviously, but. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, you know, when my clients and I will do this work about, you know, who are the people who earn the right to hear your story? Who's on your team? And then that becomes a shame trigger for them because they go, oh my gosh, you're the only person. Because they authentically can show up with me, right? I create this safe place for them. And so then they start, they can spiral down. I'm like, well, wait a second. You're learning how to show up as you. We're practicing here and what can happen is then you can go and say, hey, these are relationships I want to cultivate. And that's what happens over time. And and so people like my clients who I've been their only person at first, they have people, which is great that they can have a team of people. And I always use, I'm not a big, so funny with my background, I'm not a big uh, football person, but I understand enough of this. So, you know, on a football team, it, while the quarterback is a very high paid position, the quarterback is not the be on end all. He can't play all the positions. You need to have a team. And even the kicker at times can be very, very valuable member of the team, right? When they need to kick and you need those points, you want to make sure he makes it. So we can have teams of people that we can go to 
that can be there. Maybe it's, you know, somebody who's going to understand your parenting struggle, somebody who's going to understand what it's like to be a C-level executive, somebody who's going to understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur or a business owner managing a team, right? Who are the different people in your life that fill up this team that maybe are in different positions, but that can connect with one part of your life? That's the way I look at it. And I think it kind of raises another thing, which is when you're a leader and, you know, anybody who can make things happen is a leader in my mind. Mm-hmm. But when you're a leader, it really pays to see everybody on your team. Because let's say, let's say you work in an office and there is some sort of crisis, a fire, um, you know, you have to evacuate the building. You want the operations person you want the office manager, you want whoever is the person to have that process in hand so that when you get out of the building, you know that everybody's there, right? That you know everybody's present and accounted for, mm-hmm. that you've done, you've done your emergency process in the most appropriate way possible. And if you ignore that person, you know, for seven or eight years because you don't have a crisis, um, that's really, that's, that's not kind, mm-hmm. you know, and you never know when you might need that person with that, uh, specialty or, or, um, expertise. Mm-hmm. Well, Michelle, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up our conversation here for this month. You know what? I, I think you should call this barking dogs and coughing fits. I think that would be a good, <laughs> a good title for it because that's what it's all about. You know, every month that we do this, we, we have such great um, conversations and, you know, it's, I realize it's going to be out there and people are going to be listening to it. But you know what? It really it makes me remember just how fabulous you are and how wise and how happy I am that I know you. So thank you for having me every month. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm working really hard to receive that. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you because you mean the world to me. So this is just a wonderful collaboration with you. I love getting to talk with you. My brain really gets ignited and it's fun to share these different ideas. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right, I'm back. So my question for you is, how are you at celebrating your success? Are you able to say yay me? Do you acknowledge when you've achieved a milestone? It's so important and I can really struggle with it. It's so important. And so that's why the yay me on even the small things, we want to discount it and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I, it was only this or it's only that. But we need to practice saying the yamis so that when we do hit those big goals, those milestones, or we've achieved what we wanted to accomplish, we're comfortable doing that. We can say yami. And it doesn't have to be this big outlandish thing. We don't have, it doesn't even have to be on Facebook. It can be privately where you can say yami. And that is part of the self-kindness, which is an attribute of self-compassion. I really invite you to celebrate. And I know it's hard. I I too can struggle with this. It's an important practice. If you want to create more of what it is that you want, it's so important that when you finally achieve your goal, you celebrate it. It's not arrogant. It's not cocky. It's part of owning your story. We are so good at owning owning the miserable parts of our story or the miserable stories. We want to own the great ones. 
So when you finally achieve your goal, now what is part the step is, yay me, acknowledge it. And then you may need to sit down and go, okay, this is what I accomplished. Now what's the next thing I want to do? What else do I want to accomplish? And doing it from a place of worthiness, not from shame. That's the difference between healthy striving and hustling for worthiness. Hustling for worthiness is exhausting. When we're doing healthy striving, we're learning and growing. And the image I think about that all the time are think of little babies. When my kids, I can't remember how old they were when they were learning how to stand and to walk, but they wanted to do that. They were intrinsically at some point going, I want to stand. And I remember they would pull, you know, stay, be by the couch and they would pull themselves up and work really hard and get standing. And just the pride that they had, that feeling and that confidence. And I did it. It feels so good. That is healthy striving. And they could have been just happy with standing there, but instead they wanted to walk and they'd walk and they'd fall down. They'd get back up, sometimes cry, get upset. But that is what they did to grow. And so in this, when you finally achieve your goal, recognize it, be that proud, like that little toddler baby. I can't even remember the age because my kids are so old now. So funny. It's everything when you're there. And then once you moved on it, you don't remember exactly what, how old that was. But when the babies, I just remember when my kids would pull themselves up onto the couch, not onto the couch, but standing next to the couch and that smile and that mom, look at me. And even, I don't even know if they cared about looking, me looking at them, but that smile and that pride, that's what feels so cool. And that's part of this yay me. So don't think of it as arrogance or I'm going to be too big or I'm going to be too much. Those are all voices of shame. A baby's not thinking in voices of shame. The baby is just excited. And then the baby's like, wait a second, I'm going to walk, right? And actually there's even stuff before this, right? It's the crawling, it's the rolling over, it's all of these different things. And so we're intrinsically wired to want to have forward movement in our lives, to strive. So give that to yourself. When you achieve your goal, have your, allow yourself that big smile. And then you may stay there for a while or you may go, okay, what's next? What is it that I want to do? And doing this, thinking about this from a place of curiosity. And here's something that's so important. It's so important when you ask yourself these questions, that they're great questions. You do not want to ask crappy questions that lead you down a dead end. What I mean by that is, will I achieve that? Will it ever happen again? That's a horrible question because now it's all fear-based. You're just looking at what you may not have again. Like I, I achieved this, but I don't know if I'm going to do it again. And oh no, and look at all these problems that can happen. See how it brings you down this the wrong street? Instead, it's like, okay, the question that I asked a lot in many shows out of the, we're probably close to 500 shows now, but in many shows is if this is possible for them, what is possible for you? And opening up your mind to see what is possible for you, doing it from a place of curiosity. I really invite you to be careful. So Michelle had talked about how you talk about change is really important. And also when you're looking forward, The questions that you ask yourself are also extremely important. So be really careful with the words that you use. It's so interesting because sometimes when I'm working with clients, 
I'll give an example of a crappy way to think or a crappy question to ask. And all of a sudden I can just feel the difference in my body. Like I get tense. And these were ways that I used to talk. I don't anymore or rarely do. And I notice how I can just physically start to feel not so well. Though, So you, you test it out. Don't just trust me. Go test it out. If you're disconnected with your body, because I was for a really, really long time, and it makes sense, right? I was an athlete, um, emotionally at home was told to not feel my feelings, don't cry. And as you know, it, we're socially, we're not really developing emotional feelings. So anyways, really good at sucking things down, numbing with food and disconnecting. So for me, it took a long time. I was like, what? What's this body compass stuff? I didn't really understand it. Could kind of feel it, but I don't know. And it's too, it's not tangible. It's out here. Practice it. And it takes time. Test it out. Test it out. You know, check in every month or so and test it out over this next year and just notice. I'm more in tune with my body now as I've learned how to feel my physical sensations and my emotional feelings. It's taken time. So when I say this, you may not be able to experience it on the other end because I've practiced it more. It's like if you and I were to get into the pool, I haven't been in a pool, I guess, probably since the summer. I would get in and you would probably think, if you, if you weren't a swimmer, that I was a pretty good swimmer. As I would get in, I know how to do it. I've practiced so much over my entire life that I can get in and I can at least make a nice 25-yard freestyle. Now, if my, were my husband watching, he would probably say it was horrible swimming, but you know, that's what happens when you're a coach of his caliber. But for the to the general public, it would be good swimming. I had to put that little clinger in there. But I practice so much. And it doesn't mean that you won't get there. I've taught lots of adults, lots of kids how to swim. And as you practice more, you get better. So the same thing here. You can connect with your emotional well-being. You can practice. It's never too late. Please, it's never too late. I love what Michelle had said about anticipating success because really, how many of you anticipate success? Personally, I'm way better <laughs> or I'm wired to go to the immediate doomsday. I'm, I've got that down. Really, really good. Doomsday. And that's one of the things that I'm practicing in this year in 2016 is to not do those doomsdays. I know, okay, what's the worst case scenario that can happen? but I don't need to anticipate it. And I want to work on anticipating success. How about you? What's the cost to you if you anticipate success versus anticipate doom? It really feels crappy to anticipate doom. But when you can anticipate success and think, okay, well, this is going to happen and this is what's going to happen. And how do you show up? Do you have more of a creative brain? I know I can figure out problems a lot better when I'm like, okay, this is what I'm committing to. I don't know the answer to it yet, but how can we make this happen? Versus if I'm like, oh my God, it's over. Da, 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 da. I mean, those are like old stories in my head. I shut down. I hide away. I want to go back to bed. I want to hide. I want to give up. I want to cry. I want a white knight to rescue me <laughs> until I realize I really don't want a white knight to rescue me. That is just some of the childhood programming that's gone on in my brain. So paying attention to that, anticipating success, paying attention to how you talk about change, saying yay me, and then tuning in to which questions, asking yourself great questions. And none of this is about not being pragmatic or practical. Um, 
or positive affirmations. Like I will say, it's not about looking in the mirror if you're overweight and saying, I'm skinny, I'm skinny, I'm skinny. Because if, if the feeling that is being triggered is shame, then the back of your head is saying, your shame gremlin saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. See, once again, you're a fraud. So it has to be things that you believe in. And maybe it's a bit of a stretch. I used to always tell my college athletes and they made me, I think a shirt and then some pictures and stuff. And it was, we did a t-shirt one year with this slogan. It was believe to achieve. You have to believe to achieve. And the most important thing is believing in you. You have to believe in you. Because if you don't believe in you, no matter who else believes in you, it's not as powerful. And trust that because I really wanted other people to believe in me so that I could accomplish my goals because I didn't believe in me, but I couldn't get there. It wasn't until I believed in myself that I could achieve. So I invite that for you. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm excited to be back here with you in 2016. And we're building a community at How She Really Does It. So go to the website and sign up for free. You're going to be part of my weekly newsletter that comes out. It's also an opportunity to connect. You never know. Sometimes you may email me a question and it may be the topic of either a newsletter or one of the podcasts. A special thanks for Michelle for joining me every month. I love having these conversations. She's a very gentle soul. And I have a shout out to do from one of our Canadian friends on iTunes and Victoria Chung. Thank you so much for reaching out and posting a review on iTunes about the show. I'm so glad that this show has been able to help you when you've gotten new insights. So thank you so much. I love Canadians. I've just figured out that there's way more posts or reviews than I knew about because they're categorized by country and I have to log in that way. But I'm going to be doing a lot more shout outs to all of you out there and I will be getting the list. So be patient with me. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.